the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Living the Christian life. You ever wonder how to live this life out as a Christian? We've got answers for you here today as we continue our series on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Living the Christian life is a lot about understanding just what that life really is, what's been afforded to us, what God has done in and through us, through His Son, Jesus Christ. Based on that, we then get a clear indication as to how we are to live this Christian life. Today, we turn our thoughts towards this one idea that Christians are united to Christ forever. That's quite a statement. We'll explore the answer to that statement next. Here's Pastor Phil with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Lewis Chafer used to say that if your Greek Testament didn't fall open to Romans 6, you were no theologian. (laughs) It tells you what he thought about Romans 6. Uh, It is a profound, profound chapter. Uh, I've looked at it, I think, 500 times. And uh, I was wrung out this week just looking at it again. It's so wonderful. We want to look at the fact that uh, he's been telling these believers uh, in Christ, God can treat them in a way they don't deserve. He does not have to treat them according to their sins. You're getting treated in a gracious manner because God has constituted you in Christ, so he doesn't have to treat you uh, like you deserve. And so, uh, if you wake up and you think, uh, my, God is being so good, I must be being so good. You missed it, because justification rests on the merits of another who was put to your account. So now, he, uh, he picks up the argument that if grace abounds in abundance greater than sin, maybe that could be misconstrued to think, well, it doesn't make any difference how one lives. And so he's going to follow through and begins to really develop. Believers are united with Christ for justification, and that union with Christ becomes the basis of their new life. And if you don't know this, even when you do something kind of accidentally right in the Christian life, you don't know why. And that's where some of you, you'll have some days of victory, and you don't know why you're having victory, because you don't know how it operates. And Romans tells you how it operates in chapter 6. And so, um, let's just read the intro here. The moment the believing sinner trusts in Jesus Christ, he's declared to be right in the sight of God, and on the basis of the imputed, or put to your account, righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is freely given to us 
on the basis of God's undeserved favor and the work of his son on the cross, this status of being right before God. But how shall we then live, now justified by grace? Uh, some may be saying, it doesn't matter how I live, so I'll live as I please. That was the danger I think Paul saw that he might be interpreted as saying. Do we get to continue in a life of sin since grace abounds? Or has God called us to a different kind of life, a life lived on earth but forever united to Jesus Christ? And uh, question, shall we continue sinning so that the grace of God may increase? That's exactly 6-1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Uh, I would say this. You need to teach enough grace so that you're accused of this. <laughs> it's a compliment if you teach enough of the grace of God that people saying, it sounds to me like you're saying, no matter how you live, you've got grace. You need to at least be on the edge that they might accuse you of that. So you can come back with the answer. God forbid. Grace will not produce lawlessness. Grace, uh, you do not understand this tension maybe like me. I came from a holiness background in which we disdain the doctrines of grace over this rationale. We were wrong, but this was the thinking. Grace fosters a life of sin. These grace people just believe in grace because they don't want to live right. We're holiness people. We've broken with the world. Uh, at least we're trying to. Uh, we're separate people. Uh, we're, we're wanting to be holy. And that motivation was, I think, sincere. But we were afraid many times of grace, of the doctrines of security of the believer. So we grew up always teaching and seeing backsliding all the time. Didn't want to. It just happened. But we were very anti this grace group because grace fosters a loose life. And that was the basis of our fear. And uh, it was not until I met people on this side that were authentic Christians and lived for God and loved for Christ that I kind of dropped my own prejudice against them and said, no, that's not what they're saying. And that, it's a great, there's a great dividing wall there between holiness groups and so-called grace groups. Now, nothing that fosters a life of sin is God the source of, right? But now, what's the basis for our holiness or our life? Now, and I just give a little outline here uh, is how it broke out to me. He's going to talk about the reality of our union with Christ, how we should respond to it. The reality that we're under grace, not law, how we should respond to it. I'm only going to just try to get to verse 14 tonight, and then we'll pick up the second half of 6 through 7, 6 in the next lesson. So uh, just track with me here. Let's go in our notes here. The reality of our union with Jesus Christ. He's answering the question, shall we sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
Now listen to this. We died to sin. How can we live it in it any longer? Now, let me tell you something about grammar. I don't want to repeat it too much. Two things. Uh, most of these words through verse 10, if it's a past tense, are an aorist tense, which simply sees the action as done, uh, completed. It's, it's, just, it's just that. And also, another piece of grammar, they're in the indicative mood. And the indicative mood in Greek is the mood of reality. If it was an imperative, it's the mood of a command. But indicative, all the way through here. It's a first eras, second eras, always indicative, indicative. Everything he's saying through the first ten verses are not, it might be, it, we wish it would be. He's stating what is factual in the sight of God concerning the believer. So it, it's done. Just get that in your mind. These verses are done. If you're a believer, this is true of you whether you know it or not. It's not an emotion. It's not an experience. It's a fact in the mind of God. He chooses to believe this about you and gives you credit for things you may not even realize. So just think of it. This is a factual ten verses. How God views us in our union with Christ, this is how he views you. You died to sin. Verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. You died. You died. The old man died. We were crucified with Christ over and over. Death to sin. Now, uh, there's four ways a believer uh, is dead with regards to sin. First way is positionally. And that is, God says, positioned in my son, that I've reckoned his history to be your history. That is, from his death to his resurrection, I've united you to that so that I count you to have died with Christ. That's positional. You died. Two is practical dying to sin. And that's what he's going to begin to develop for us at the end of Romans 6 through 8. You are to put to death the deeds of the body. That is, as you count on the fact of your union with Christ, you moment by moment are to be saying no to sin and by that way putting it to death in actual experience and practice moment by moment. That's practical holiness, putting it to death. Thirdly is prophetically. In the future, you will die finally physically to be resurrected, to never die anymore. We are all looking forward to getting a non-dying existence. That's a part of my hope. That's a part of my Christianity. Romans 8, I am groaning with all creation, longing for a redeemed body that doesn't need medicine to keep going. And it's a part of the deliverance and death to sin that is a result of the crossword. It's coming. Thirdly, I'd say public declaration. Spirit baptism is that work of the Spirit that unites you to Jesus Christ, that you believed in Christ and the Holy Spirit took you out of Adam, immersed you into Christ. That's what I consider real baptism. It's truly real. It's the way Lewis Chafer referred to it. Uh, and then there's a ritual baptism 
that when we really baptize in water, if it's rightly understood, it could be your declaration at your water baptism event, I am declaring publicly that I have now died to the old relationship I had to Adam, and I'm declaring to all the public and the world, this is the symbolic moment in my life that I'm saying I will begin to live out the new man in my life. Most baptism candidates don't know enough theology to know that. But perhaps the early church may have eventually. But I think primarily we see the Spirit has immersed me into Christ, so it's true. I would hope in public baptism, it it goes public with what spiritually happened. I'm declaring by going in these waters in symbol that I have put past my past life behind me and I'm picking up a new life. And if you miss the theology of baptism, you wind up knowing I'm going public with my faith. I'm declaring I belong to the new man. I'm in Christ. So we have died to sin in the sight of God. You can't do any more against me about my sin problem than kill me. I've died. I was crucified. So this is God's viewpoint. It's why I never am in a backslidden state where my salvation is suspended for a moment because the full penalty for all that's sinful about me fell on me in one death, and it was the death in my representative Christ. And if God looks me up to sentence me again, he's, he's putting me through double payment for the same problem. That is so basic to the gospel, but it's very seldom understood. God has thoroughly dealt with everything that would eliminate you from heaven once for all in the person of his son. That alone would be worth the lesson tonight. If you knew it and believed it. Uh, Goes on, he said, we were baptized with Christ. Uh, And that word, its metaphorical meaning is identified with something. Immerse is to, you know, baptizo is to immerse, be dipped into something. But the metaphorical meaning of it is to be identified with what you're dipped into or the message connected with it. And so we've been identified with Christ by means of baptism. Notice at 6.3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 6 and 9 are the know you nots. Don't you know? Verse 6, we know. Verse 9, for we know. You must know these things, he says, to understand this Christian life. We were buried with Christ. That's interesting. Why, why do you have to mention buried? I think it gives finality to the old life. When we bury someone and we go to the cemetery, on the way home we know they are no longer with us in the life we've known together they're no longer alive. We, we put an epitaph there. We'll put a headstone that says, we will never know them in the kind of life they've lived up to now. That is finalized. That's forever behind. Their earthly existence. 
We may see them in the resurrection, but that's a new kind of a life. And so he's wanting us to get the idea something final happened to us through our being placed in Christ as our representative. He's buried what we were, the old man. And when you exhume what was buried, it stinks. It's full of worms. And every once in a while, you see a believer pulling out the old corpse, as it were, and trying to resuscitate it, and we all want to throw up. So we thought you died to that. We thought you buried that. We thought that was behind you. That was your history, not your present. You've got to know certain things have to be buried, and it happened in the mind of God. Start acting like it. One of those great self-esteem lines I grew up from my parents was, if you've got any brains, act like it. If you've got any theology, act like it. If it's true, he's going to start telling us, if it's true, act like it. That's, what, that's the whole basis he's going to make. Then he says, we were united with Christ. Since we have been united with him, in verse 5, like this, in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. It's a word that literally means to be grafted into, and he, inseparable. That we've been united to Christ. Now, that grafting language is the vine and the branches. You've got the First Corinthians language of we are members of his body. Uh, we've got we're the bride. He's the bridegroom. Uh, he's the chief cornerstone. We're built into that. But here, we've been grafted into Christ. We're united with him. What a picture. Strong as it can be, you are in union with Christ. And see, for you to ever lose your salvation or that, he would have to dismember you from the body. He would have to uh, disconnect you some way. Because right now, you're in union with him. Both in his resurrection and his death, we've been united. Uh, let's just keep on here, just to see the stuff that he says is true about us. Look at verse 6. For we know that our old man, I prefer old man, because that's what it was in the original language, and I think it, it shouts chapter 5. Don't you know that our old man was crucified with him, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, some take this old man phrase to be, it, it refers to all that we were in Adam, and I believe that's true. Here's the great mistake that I think we make. Now watch this. He's talking about representatives, being in Adam, being in Christ. Don't you know that our old man, we die to that. Here's what we tend to do. We internalize that and make that our old nature. And the old nature never died. Sin in you never died, but your position in Adam died. I died to the old man and how I was constituted and viewed in him, 
And through that death, I've been united with Christ. But I brought something with me I wish I wouldn't have brought with me. And I still have the remnants of a sin principle within me. And you'll get people who believe in sinless perfection. They'll take this verse and say, see there, your old nature died. He said, the old man. And I'm taking, understanding it, what I was in Adam, but not talking about my old sin nature. Because everybody that tells the truth in this place knows you haven't made sinless perfection. And if you say that, let me talk to your wife. Uh, somebody's lying. So what he's saying, though, it should have an effect that this new identity should have an effect on the way the body is used. And he said that the body of sin might be done away with. Now, uh, this word, some have made it annihilate. We know that's not true. It has other meanings that means to render inoperative. And so he's making a great case that now that you died to what you were in Adam, and you've come over here, one of the present tense effects of that is this. Your body should now, from now on, be rendered inoperable to carry out the old man's agenda. You should no longer be making the body available for that, for coming over here to this new man. The new man wants your body. The new man's going to use your body. And so he wants you to know the body of the saint has been rendered inoperative to be any longer an instrument of sin. Just, he didn't save you not to get your body. And your body is the external expression of what's going on in your heart. You do with your body what's going on in the soul. So, uh, he shares that. I love what he says in 6-7. Most folks don't. It's freed. He said, because anyone who has died has been justified from sin. And the word free, no, anyone who's died, you've been declared righteous in what you've reacted to sin. I can do no more towards sin than die. I've died. I'm done with the dying. I've died in the mind of God. Let's get that settled. He wants you to get that settled because he's going to start telling you how to live. How to live in the new man. But you've got to be sure that everything you were in Adam, in your lost estate, ended with your death with him. So I'm declared righteous in regard to sin because I paid the full penalty of it in my representative. Over and over, he's saying this. So bear with me while I say it over and over. Uh, So, uh, he's telling them, here's the applications. We are to walk in newness of life. We're going to be in the likeness of his resurrection. We're freed from the penalty of sin. We shall live in him. And then, I jumped to uh, 6.14, because I wanted to get to the application he makes. He throws in here, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. 
And you're listening to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. As we close out our broadcast today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the program encourages you in Christ and how this program is being used by you on a daily basis. Are we just a normal part of your radio listening? Do you tap into our resources available at our website? Have you visited our church? These are things we would love to hear from you. Take a moment, call or write to us today. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. You're also welcome to visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Take advantage of the resource materials I mentioned a moment ago. We have several. Again, truthfortodayradio.org. You'll also find information about Valley Bible Church right there as well, who we are, what we believe, worship times, services, and directions to the church. We'd love to have you join us, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Again, that's truthfortodayradio.org. If you're writing to us, our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And then as we conclude our time together today, we would also invite you to partner with us. This radio broadcast and the many resources that accompany it are available as you partner with us, as you link arms with us financially and prayerfully. No gift is too small, no gift is too large, and you can do a one-time gift or make monthly pledges. No matter, we'd love to have you be a partner with us as we continue to minister the gospel of Christ to the Bay Area and beyond. So contact us today. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. And you can also donate online at truthfortodayradio.org. That's truthfortodayradio.org. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.